She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. A man or a woman must always be presumed innocent unless and until proven guilty. And with that, I must state that you, sir, under historic scrutiny, were proven innocent. I am optimistic about the future of America and the future of our independent judiciary, the crown jewel of our constitutional republic. As a justice on the Supreme Court, I will always strive to preserve the Constitution of the United States and the American rule of law. The U.S. is strong again, and the U.S. is strong in a way that should make all Americans very proud. It's a great day in the United States, and I'm proud to have been part of the team. Thank you, Mr. President. It's been an honor of a lifetime. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. I'm so glad to be with you. I think um, now is a good time for me to give a little, uh, what do you call those uh, advisory notices, if you will. So I've talked a lot about my parents. My dad was in the Army. My mom worked for the federal government. And so I grew up in a household where there weren't a lot of punches pulled. And by that, I mean there was, there was civility. My mom and dad really had a strong sense of not just what's right and what's wrong, but proper decorum and good behavior. But my dad was an army man and, you know, military policeman at that. And if you've ever been around military policemen, you know that they're the closest thing that you have to the, the entryman, infantrymen and the military police are the, the kind of the they're the rough guys. They, they see all of the roughest things. They see all of the crime. The military police see all of the crime that soldiers commit. Um, they have to arrest other soldiers. It's, it's a tough, tough job. And they know about all of the misconduct that soldiers uh, engage in. And then you have um, the fact that my father went to Vietnam and he served there. He was actually injured there. And, and you know, so he's, he's my dad is not someone that I would consider to be you know, um, he, he's the opposite of President Obama, if you will, someone who's genteel and, you know, only only ever gets upset if it's convenient and, you know, is always righteously indignant and all that stuff. No, not not my dad. And so I grew up in a household where, you know, real talk was was normal and there weren't any punches pulled. You, you just it's just straight up. This is what it is. Here it is. And so in some ways, when I hear President Trump talking, you know, a lot of the things that that he has said in the past that have offended people, it's because of the coarseness of the language that he's using. But growing up on military installations and then serving in the military myself, um, there are multiple tens of millions of Americans who communicate in that way. And so rather than be offended by it, I try to listen for what he's saying because there's a point to it. Surely there's a point because he's, you know, he's taken the time to, to speak on something. And this comment about these countries, the asshole comment, has so offended so many Americans because they're focused on what they consider to be an insult that the fact that he told the truth is it's just flown over everybody's head. The fact is, and what and David Mamet describes this so perfectly in his book, The Secret Knowledge. In his book, The Secret Knowledge, one of the chapters he describes how he spent a lot of time during his career in Hollywood and, and his time uh, you know, in academia around people who have these flowery 
linguistic poems about certain countries around the world. And they always say that all cultures are equal. But his test for that was to always ask them, let's say America has been completely and utterly destroyed. And there is one flight. There Actually, there are two flights leaving. And every American has to decide they're either getting on the plane to Western Europe, to, to Europe. It's now Europe now, no more Western Europe. So they're getting on the plane to Europe or they're getting on a plane to the Middle East. Which plane would you take? And so, of course, you know, my answer to hypotheticals is always, I don't deal in hypotheticals. But the fact is, deep down in my heart, whether I'm dealing with hypotheticals or not, I know I'd, I'd rather go to Canada. I'd rather go to uh, Europe. I'd rather go to Australia. I would not want to go to North Korea or to the Middle East, any part of the Middle East, or to um, the continent of Africa. And yes, there are civilized, well-developed countries in on the continent of Africa. There are beautiful places to visit and to vacation on the continent of Africa. But I mean, where exactly is the plane landing? And, and am, I, am I going with security or is it just me and the kids? Do we get to take our firearms? I mean, what, what, is, what are the, the situation here? If it's just me and one suitcase and I'm, I'm taking the first thing smoking and, you know, my husband and the kids, I'm going to want to go to a westernized country. There's a reason for that. And so it, it to me is so fake and unreal when I hear people say, well, the thing is, all countries are equal. All cultures are equal. No, they're not, because you're not living in one of those other con- cultures, are you? You're not currently considering emigrating to El Salvador or Haiti. And God bless the people who live there. This isn't about denigrating them. It's about saying that, yes, one thing is better than another. You know, a 26 ounce of your favorite drink is better than a 16 ounce of your favorite drink. You know, a loaded gun, if you're in a, in, a, in, in a dark alley and you see a group of really burly looking dudes coming at you and you're alone, a loaded gun is better than an unloaded gun or a pen. You know, there are things that are better than others. And the idea that simply saying we have too many people coming into this country from unvetted, you call them whatever you want, countries, Somehow people have to get triggered about that instead of acknowledging the bus uh, crash in New York. You guys must have heard about this. You've got this extended stretch limousine and it barrels through a stop sign at 60 miles an hour and kills two pedestrians and all 17 passengers in the driver on board are killed. Now that we're looking at who these people are, not the victims, because the victims are obviously victims. But the owner of the stretch limousine place, cited many times for violations, hails from the country of Pakistan, came into the country illegally, but was still able to become a citizen, has been involved in other scams and schemes, should not have owned a business where he's renting out vehicles. Now, does that mean everyone in Pakistan is a horrible person or that we don't have great Pakistani immigrants here? Of course not. But this matters. One culture doesn't value the rule of law, licensing, doing things that wouldn't endanger the lives of your customers, and one culture does. One culture is clearly better than the other. And so I'm, I'm not making a judgment call on whether or not the president should be castigated for his continued use of profanity. That is a personal issue for him. He's the president of the United States, 
And it is my job to ascertain whether or not the statements he's making are true. And so for the country's statement that he made, that we're receiving too many refugees from these countries, that is true. That for the, the statement that he made that derided those countries for being, you know, not, not great places to receive immigrants from in large numbers, true again. Now, if that hurts feelings, that's not actually my fault. Remember, the spirit of offense resides with the person who's offended. So if you are offended or if I am offended about something, let's just put it on me. If I hear someone saying something on the radio or on television and I am offended by it, it is my problem. Now, it could be that what they said or what I saw on television was truly offensive and it shouldn't have been there. That could be. But the choice to be offended by it is mine. And that is something that we really need Americans to grow up on. People are going to say things that we don't like. The question is, why don't you like it? Is it that it offends you because you don't like the person who's speaking? Is it that you don't like what they said because it has the ring of truth to it and you've been saying something different? Or is it because it was truly offensive and should not have been spoken? And, and that's up for debate, really. If, if people are going to leak things that are said in private meetings, then they're probably going to, in, in leaking it, it's because something was said that was incendiary that could make the news cycle, which means everyone who was triggered by it was manipulated. And, and that's a whole nother segment about people intentionally manipulating the public to get a reaction that they want and people who are in the public allowing themselves to be intentionally manipulated, giving credence to these people who are manipulating you. Manipulation is a sin. In the Bible, it is a sin. And what I find most offensive about the comment about the countries is not the comment itself or that people think it's untrue, but that people allowed themselves to be manipulated into thinking that, number one, the president's a racist, and number two, that what he said about those countries isn't true. So take from that what you will. I know it just people just get so upset whenever Donald Trump tells the truth about something. And, and the, the response is always, well, he's lying. Well, he's not lying. And anyone who thinks differently, please show me your, um, your stub from your plane ticket for your reservations for, for your next vacation in Haiti, El Salvador, Sudan, really anywhere over there. Show me your, because if you show me that you vacation there and you spend a lot of time there and that you find it good enough for yourself, then I'll believe you that, um, that, that the statement was untrue and yeah, but otherwise, you know, that that's your problem, not my problem. I mean, not even close to my problem. So quickly, this votecommongood.com, I mentioned it yesterday and I, I got to tell you, I'm, I never cease to be amazed by the lengths that liberals will go to to try to legitimize their failed experiments all over, you know, the inner cities, as we discussed with Diamond and Silk last hour. Everywhere you look where liberals are in charge, it's failure are us, failure city, the bullet train to failure, failurama, whatever you want to call it. So you've got votecommongood.com, votecommongood.com. Let me tell you what it says on this website, because I just I was like, <laughs> you know, some people have no shame. Some, some people actually are out to do evil and they're doing it 
And the rest of us, I guess we just have to, what, what are we to do? Just, I guess, fight back. We have to tell the truth about what they're doing. So votecommongood.com says flip Congress for the common good. There's something we can do, and November 6th is the way to do it. Vote Common Good is barnstorming the nation, inviting Christians to flip Congress by voting for the common good. Join the movement. Now, you might say, okay, well, flip Congress for the common good? So here's some of the people that they say are the tour speakers and musicians who are helping to shepherd this movement. Nadia Bowles-Weber, Christy Berghoff, Frank Schaefer, Vince Anderson, John Pavlovitz, Shane Claiborne, Brian McLaren, and Jackie Lewis. And there are some others um, on here. These are the captivating speakers. They say will be joining select dates of the national tour. They want to shift the national conversation from fear to faith and flip Congress for the common good. Now, if you're flipping Congress for the common good, and right now we have the lowest unemployment rate for blacks, that we've had ever in this country, if we have all of these wonderful things that are going on in, in the country financially, that are lifting people out of poverty, that are changing the trajectories for families for generations to come, how could flipping Congress help that? Because if certain parties control Congress, what happens? We've already been told, Nancy Pelosi said, first thing they're going to do is repeal the tax cut and increase everyone's taxes. And then they're going to start implementing socialist policies. So exactly how does it help to make that change? So they have this what and why page. And on here, they say, we want to dislodge control of Congress from the Republican Party because we believe that this would most directly affect common good in our country. That's our chosen strategy for this midterm. For another election, we may have another strategy irrespective of party. I don't believe that for five seconds. We invite and help voters of faith, our brothers and sisters in so-called red districts, to rise up and vote the heart of our shared faith, faith in spiritual traditions, our country, and one another. Well, the Democrats are for same-sex marriage and for the elimination of religious freedom and the tax increases. I can't, I can't get off that. Sorry. So how is a shared spiritual tradition, how, how does that involve redefining marriage or continuing abortion or, or any of those things? This is a false attempt to trick and dupe Christians into doing something that goes against the word of God. Again, I say to you, check the issues and the candidates, their stances, line it up with what God's word says. Google and Bing and DuckDuckGo are your friend. Make sure you're doing that before you vote. When we get back, we're going to have OneNewsNow.com reporters joining in to give us an update. I'm a local truck driver, and I travel all over North Carolina, the coastal, down in Fayetteville and Lumberton. And, uh, you know, back in Raleigh, we have a uh, radio family that I listen to, and they don't travel out that far. But I'm in the area, I tune into you guys, and you're like my home away from home for spiritual truth on the radio. I'm a young African-American, 27 years old, married, and we love the Lord. And the only reason why I share that is because people need to know this isn't, you know, a, a cultural exclusive thing, but this is reaching all people from all stripes, all united under the banner of Christ. And we are now a new race, a new people submitted to the Lord. And I just really want to encourage you guys to uh, continue doing what you're doing. Love what you guys are doing. Be blessed. Let's impact even more lives. Partner with us for our three-day share starting Tuesday, October 16th, here on Listener Supported, Urban Family Talk.
This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. These last few weeks have provided all of us with an education about memories. How well do we accurately recall events that took place decades ago? What have scientists discovered about true and false memories? We may never know how many of the memories that have been cited and even presented in the Senate Judiciary Committee are accurate, but we do have some data that suggests that the memories of people who testify in trials are often not as accurate as we might believe them to be. Dr. Elizabeth Loftus is a cognitive scientist and law professor who has studied the subject of memory for the last four decades. On my radio program, I cited one study of 300 people in this country who went to prison for crimes they did not commit. They were later exonerated by DNA evidence, and of those 300 who were in prison, three-quarters of the convictions were the result of false memories. Now, this shouldn't be a surprise to anyone who has followed other stories in the news. You might remember the story of Jackie that appeared in the pages of Rolling Stone. She claimed that she was gang raped at a fraternity at the University of Virginia. The story was not true and Rolling Stone had to apologize and remove the story. Dr. Loftus has found that it is even possible to implant false memories. Her research team, while guided by an ethics committee, was able to plant in participants all sorts of false memories. For example, being attacked by an animal or witnessing a demonic possession. Various other researchers have discovered the same problem with memories. They suggest that our brain pulls together pieces of memory and sometimes creates memories of events that never took place. This doesn't mean that we should never trust memories, but it does mean that if you're on a jury or if you're watching people recounting something from their past, you should be skeptical and look for corroborating evidence. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being with us today. And it's my pleasure to welcome... News Director for American Family News, Fred Jackson. Fred, thank you so much for joining the show today. Good afternoon, Stacy. Good to be with you. It's great to have you here. There's so much breaking news today. Ambassador Haley making her announcement about her moving on uh, after the end of the year. And then, of course, Judge uh, Asso- uh, Associate Justice Brett Kavanaugh making his debut at the Supreme Court as well. Uh-huh. Um, let's talk about some of this breaking news. Yeah, just when you thought uh, the whole Kavanaugh controversy was kind of dying down, he had the formal swearing in last night at the White House, and we were ready to take a breath and say, okay, uh, we'll maybe get a day off from hard news. And then around 9 o'clock this morning, central time, we get word that uh, you, the uh, U.S. ambassador to the U.N., Nikki Haley, was stepping down and that the president was going to— uh, have some words to say on that from the White House around 9.30 this morning. Well, all of that happened. It was a shock. Uh, No one saw it coming. In fact, there was a bit of a joke out there this morning that the White House has had some problems with leaks, uh, but uh, Fox News, listening to them, they said they talked to their sources inside the White House. Everybody was kind of shrugging their shoulders. They didn't know anything about this, why Nikki Haley was stepping down. Anyway, uh, the president and Nikki Haley appeared together at the White House this morning. And uh, it, it sounds very simple. Nikki Haley apparently had a chat with the president back about six months ago. She said that, uh, you know, she thought it was time for her to take a break from public service. 
Of course, prior to being the U.N. ambassador, uh, she was governor Nikki Haley of South Carolina for six years, and some tough things happened there uh, in South Carolina, and she was given credit for for really handling those those tragedies well in South Carolina. And then, uh, of course, she she was one of those who was interested in running for president, and uh, she, you know, that didn't go too far. She uh, initially, I think, endorsed uh, Marco Rubio uh, mm-hmm. for that. And then uh, eventually, uh, I guess she and and Donald Trump mended their ways very quickly because she was one of the first appointees uh, to the to the cabinet, and uh, and she has been absolutely terrific. I think conservative conservative Christians in the country uh, welcome what she has done. She was so different from uh, Barack Obama's uh, uh, UN ambassador Samantha Powers. Mm-hmm. who you'll remember, uh, was certainly no friend of Israel, did not speak up. And, uh, and and when it came to issues of China and Iran and other issues such as that, it seemed that uh, uh, Samantha Powers was simply doing the bidding of, of Barack Obama. And and so when Nikki Haley came in there, right off the bat, she took charge. Uh, she let the uh, the United Nations know she was going to, wasn't going to put up with the way that Israel has been treated over the years, and uh, she put the uh, UN Security Council on notice. She wasn't going to put up with their bad behavior, and she went in and she took charge and uh, she laid down the markers and she has stood by that. So, uh, I think she has the respect. Not everybody in the UN certainly agrees with her stand, but she certainly has the respect of people at the United Nations. I think she's been a stellar representative for our country there because she's been so much of the voice of of Americans, like mm. everyday Americans who truly value our relationship with with Israel and with its leadership and that recognize the importance of that relationship. We're really left out in the cold during the Obama years. And now here we are with she's just been just a standard bearer, really. I mean, she's been so firm and so, so completely professional, but when when she gets on a tear and she has to take a country to task, it's not only newsworthy, but it's an example of what the left claims they really care about, Fred. You know, empowering women, women in charge, <laughs> you know, that whole thing. I know. And she's been so phenomenal. I just at like Condoleezza Rice and other women on the right before yeah. her, she'll mm-hmm. never get her just due. But we as Americans have seen her work. I I've 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 really admired her her stance at the UN and her strong she her deportment is that of a woman who's off to have lunch with girlfriends or you know go to high tea but when she starts talking you realize this this woman's not here for snacks she she's here to do business for the United States so who do you think follows her on there I'm I'm like I'm at a loss Well uh, I tell you it's interesting just before coming into the studio to chat with you I was listening to a uh well, not a news conference. It was President Trump at his best. He did what we call a scrum <laughs> with reporters on his way to the helicopter. He's got a big event in Iowa tonight. And so he stopped and talked to reporters. He is the most, you know, we've talked about the tension between Donald Trump and, and the media. But, you know, he makes himself available to the media more than any president that I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And he seems to actually enjoy it. And so just a few moments. I do, too. Yeah. Fred, I enjoy it. Oh, it's so good when he, when he just says, hey, let's take some questions. It's gold every time. He's not a politician. Uh, you ask me the question, I'll tell you how I feel about things. That's his <laughs> attitude. It's wonderful. Uh, but um, 
he was asked about possible replacements uh, for Nikki Haley. By the way, he did say that Nikki Haley, of course, she's going to stay in the job until the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And uh, he did say that she will be helping him in discerning who would be a good person to replace her okay. at the United Nations. And, and that's a good thing. Now, one of the names that has come up uh, is Dina Powell. And Dina Powell uh, was served as Deputy National Security Advisor for Strategy for the Trump administration early on in his administration. Um, and he was asked about her, and he said she would be excellent and uh, that she is on the list already. Wow. Now, we just learned this afternoon, I was reading some press reports, apparently, uh, that Dina Powell uh, went down to uh, South Carolina and spent the weekend. Uh, with Nikki Haley down there last oh, weekend. It shows yeah. a little picture of them out boating. Uh, their their husbands are with them, and they're out boating. So maybe that's that's uh, a possibility there. Trump is very high on her. Mm-hmm. But the other name that's been floated out there is going to cause some concern for, for we Christians. Uh, his name is Richard Grinnell. I saw that. I saw it on Twitter. Yeah, he's the current U.S. ambassador to Germany. Um he spent time at the U.N. under the Bush administration. Apparently, he's a good friend of John Bolton. But the thing that's going to disturb our audience, Stacy, is that he is an open homosexual. Yeah. And, and he, that's a problem for religious freedom. Oh, uh, and abso- we don't need him at the U.N. either, because most countries don't have the same stance that we have on that. Uh, absolutely. Now, he may be a friend of Israel, according to reports and, you know, conservative in some of his politics, but he's an open homosexual. So we'll have to wait and see on those. Those are two names that have been out there. Now, the other one that was floated out there, and I think maybe people are having some fun, is Ivanka Trump. Mm-hmm. Pres- I talked about that one. <laughs> I saw that on Twitter, too. I was like, she looks so cute in her outfit today because they, yeah. they follow her outfits on a daily basis. I actually, <laughs> I like that. I think that's really awesome because she was a model before. But um, And she probably could handle the job, but Ivanka's not as conservative as you and I, Fred. No, she's not. And, you know, she's a smart lady. There's no mm-hmm. question about that. And uh, certainly she would have the trust of the president. But there's this issue of nepotism uh, that and there are some rules on that. So I, I don't think I think that's that's a bit of gossip out there right now. Uh, I think he'll be sticking with uh, and I'm hoping at this point, I don't know who the other candidates are, Nikki Haley and someone I mentioned. I was asked a question earlier on today's issues here at American Family Radio. And just a name that kind of popped into my mind, and that's Mike Huckabee. Oh, he's I, my friend. I like Mike Huckabee. So yeah. I got to go on his show, and he actually spent some time chatting with me, which was so nice because, yeah. you know, he didn't have to do that. No. And we talked about his daughter because we're both her biggest fan. Yeah. And then um, we were just just chatting, really, just kind of just a few minutes. And um, he would be outstanding oh he'd be so good but he, he's got that great tv show he can't he can't do the show and also do the un so some's got to give but i know he would serve his country if he were tapped to do that job. oh great friend of israel yeah. and you know i i look at how his daughter performs each day in front of mm-hmm. that hostile media she mm-hmm. handles herself sarah huckabee sanders Handles herself so well, and I've often said she's a chip off the old block. She is. I yeah. mean, that's some strong, whatever they got going on over there at Huckabee Land, that's, that's <laughs> strong stuff. It's good stuff. I'm, I'm really excited that he would even be like, Fred, you should send a note to the president. Let him know that we like this idea. This I'll, is dro- good. I'll drop the hint. <laughs> <laughs> we could always hope. So um, 
quickly, you you met, we were just talking about Kavanaugh briefly, and today was his first day. He actually waited until everyone else spoke, and then he asked questions. Uh-huh. And um, I'm just so excited that he's there, mm-hmm. and we have no guarantee that he'll be the the you know the hard right justice that you and I would hope for, you know, overturning Roe v. Wade and all of that. But we do have the assurance that he's going to stick to the Constitution and not try to create new law. Amen. Um, I'm I'm just wondering. How much stamina do you think these protesters have? Do, do you see them still there three weeks from now, two weeks from now? They were out today. There was a small contingent, uh, but I, I think that will dissipate. I think the focus of the Democrats now, uh, we're four weeks away from the election as of today. Mm-hmm. And uh, you'll see some protests out here and there, uh, that profile. They're paid protesters. Uh, you know, they're, they're getting the money from the, the millionaires that uh, support the Democrats. And so they'll be out there doing their thing. But uh, as far as um, protests in front of the Supreme Court, uh, that issue, it's if I was a Democrat, it's not a winner for me to keep talking about possible impeachment. Mm. I'm sorry. That is not a winning issue. It's not going to happen anyway. Mm. And I think people have fatigue, quite frankly, over the whole Kavanaugh issue right now. And so I think they're going to move on to other things. So I, I don't see the kind of protests that we've seen in Washington uh, over the last couple of weeks. I think that's going to die down. I couldn't agree with you more, Fred, about the fatigue. In fact, I think they're entering a place where most Americans understand a midterm is coming and that they have to put up with these ads on TV and on the radio mm-hmm. for four more weeks. Yeah. But afterwards, if there doesn't some semblance of a return to normalcy begin to appear on the horizon... Americans are going to start to want to punish people who won't let them live without politics. Like there's because there's there's people like you and I who this is what we do mm-hmm. and we're fine with it. Yeah. And then there's everybody else yes. <laughs> and everybody else is like, you know, mm-hmm. midterms or not. I got to have I got to have some time where I'm, I'm not looking at po- politicians faces or listening to them. Um, so I, I've had a couple guests on who've talked about this whole pre-existing conditions thing that the Democrats are running on. In other words, Obamacare's main saving grace, the only reason people want it to stay around, mm-hmm. is that it keeps people who have pre-existing conditions from being denied health insurance. And they're saying the Republicans want to take that away. What's the truth on that, and how winning of an issue is that going to be? Well, they'll try it uh, like they do with other issues, but I, I have not seen that as part of the agenda of the Trump administration to get rid of pre-existing conditions. Uh, I think what we're going to see is, and there's, we're already starting to see this. I'm, I'm hearing reports that, for instance, premiums are going to start to go down, and, mm-hmm. and that is, and people are going to realize that there, there was so much misreporting about the so-called benefits of Obamacare uh, that we saw over uh, prior to the election of uh, Donald Trump. Uh, a lot of people still didn't realize and still don't realize unless you're, you're applying for something under the exchanges. The, the levels of deductibilities uh, for Obamacare premiums, uh, you know, we're talking $6,000 in deductibilities. Mm. And so a lot of people, you know, they they have a little card that says they have insurance, but then they go to their doctor's office, and the doctor's office says says, well, you're going to have to pay the first six thousand dollars or whatever bills that we have for you, and that was that was sticker shock for a lot of folks, and so I think that is something the president is trying to do uh, when he was on the campaign trail in 2016. What he wanted to do, one of the things he wanted to do, is remove the state uh, line border the border issue so that uh, you could buy uh, insurance, health insurance, 
outside your own state. And so that is one thing. He's all about, he's a businessman. He's all about increasing competition, which we know the history of capitalism is when you increase the competition, prices go down. It's kind of interesting. One of the things he talked about reporters with is the big announcement he's going to make on ethanol when he gets to Iowa this evening. Okay. And he says it's all about more energy out there, and he says it will bring prices down. This is what he is about. Mm. You know, this is a man who became president not because he wanted power and money. He had all of that. He really, I do believe, wants to help America. Who'd want to take that job when you're a billionaire? Why would you want to take the job of president of the United States with a conservative agenda? Why would you want to do that? Knowing it's a that step the, down, Fred. It's, it's a step <laughs> I mean, down. For him, for him, it was a step down. And, and, you know, he knows the media is going to attack him on everything he does, and that is exactly what has happened. But, you know, he has got tremendous stamina. I remember when it was uh, his, his personal doctor, Dr. Jackson, who uh, was going to be, I think, the Surgeon General until he stepped away from that. But I remember when Dr. Jackson gave his first report on the president's health, he talked about the amazing ability of President Trump to go to bed at night, get asleep, and get up the next day fresh and ready to go at it. He doesn't carry yesterday's problem into the next day. And I think there's something biblical in all of that. A good lesson (laughs) for all of us. Oh, it is. For, yeah. for insomniacs like myself, I, I only dream of that. I, I just that my mind is always racing. If I wake up for any reason, then I'm awake. I'm like just even more awake than I am right now. It's crazy. And so I, I, I had a friend that um, we, we pray together and she said, you know, what, it's probably we're under attack because we're doing, we're doing this. So we mm-hmm. just have to keep going. And I, I agree. But I, I find... President Trump to be, you know, he, there are the parts of him that like any person, I kind of like, wow, I, you know, that's not advisable, President Trump. Why are, why are we going in this direction? Mm-hmm. You know, with some of his statements and language and things like that. But when I take him in his totality, and, yeah. the, and like you said, it, it is always in the back of my mind that if I were a multi-billionaire who was popular with Republicans and Democrats and had a life that there's no one on the planet who wouldn't want to switch with me, mm-hmm. Taking the kind of step down, because it's not really a step. It's like he leapt off of, you know, one of those craggy cliffs with, you know, no no safety net below mm-hmm. to get down there to do the job of president, which all of us esteem very highly, but is much less lucrative than what he was doing before. Yeah. When you look at his actions in that light, he's killing it. I mean, yeah. he's just doing a stellar job. Yes. You know, Fred, thank you so much for joining us today. We have to talk on a weekly basis at minimum to keep up with what's going on at onenewsnow.com. Amen. News Great to be with you. Thank you so much, sir. Take care. I'm Will Addison, director of Urban Family Talk. We desire to be a movement of time tellers. In First Chronicles 12:32 it says, "The sons of Issachar were men who had understanding of the time to know what Israel ought to do." In these perilous times, God is raising up a people of discernment who will see, pray, and act. We sound the alarm as watchmen. We cry aloud that God's people may be activated for his service. Join the movement at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hey, have you called in to share your testimony about how God has been a blessing in your life? 
If not, what are you what waiting, are you waiting for? for? Shareathon is almost here. Stop whatever it is that you're doing and call 877 327 5647. God is too good for us to just sit there and not tell others about his goodness and his mercy. Simply call 877-327-5647. We can't wait to hear from you. Equipped with Chris Brooks. This program is an apologetic endeavor. What I want to do is really train you in the art and science of defending and commending your Christian faith to people who maybe they've been hurt by the church, maybe they don't believe like you believe, and you're saying to yourself, how do I have an effective conversation with them? Well, we're looking for an evangelistic edge, if you will, that will allow us to more effectively, more contextualize the gospel so that we can reach men and women for Christ. Quite often, the on-ramp, if you will, is looking at culture and taking advantage of the conversations that folks are already having and saying, how can I leverage this to get people to talk about Jesus? This show becomes kind of massively significant to you if your desire is to reach people for Christ. Get equipped with Chris Brooks. Join me Monday through Friday at noon Central Time on Urban Family Talk. This is Fox on Justice, an accusation of sexual assault by a high school student followed by vehement denials. But this alleged assault didn't happen decades ago. It was just last year when five girls at Seneca Valley High School outside Pittsburgh accused a male student of at least two sexual assaults. He was charged with indecent assault, but as the investigation unfolded, it turned out the girls had invented the allegations. It never happened. Asked why she did it, one girl said, I just didn't like him. Now the boys' parents have filed a federal lawsuit against the parents of the girls, the school district, and the prosecutor. The parents' suit claims their son was held in custody, was subjected to bullying in school. At one point, they claim someone taped the word predator onto his back. The lawsuit also accuses the school of gender bias, saying the school took no action against the false accusers even after the charges were dropped. No comment from the defendants. With Fox on Justice, Hank Weinblum, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. It's weird. Last week, uh, Brian Kilmeade was harassed on the street by two Netflix employees who followed him all the way to the subway, then got onto the subway, and this is where it gets really bad and dangerous. They encouraged subway riders to harass Kilmeade. So it got almost to an unsettling, violent point where they were, get this, instilling a mob, get crucify him. That's what they were yelling. And I guess Netflix is the role of Pontius Pilate because they enable this sort of thing. The Democrats need to take the leadership role here and tamp down the rhetoric because you're going to end up, the Dems are going to lead their supporters to a Waterloo. You, if you're going to end up in a hostile situation, the side that can defend itself always wins. And you saw the McGregor fight where you saw these guys fighting and there were casualties. And why? Because you never know what a stranger can do. So when you're following a guy home and you're spitting on people, you never know who that person is. And that that is wisdom from Greg Gutfeld on uh, the, the five. They were talking about this awful, awful treatment of Brian Kilmeade. And, you know, there people have been saying how nice he is, what a kind person he is. But even if he was like, you know, the coworker that nobody wanted to sit with, he still doesn't deserve this. 
You don't deserve to be harassed for doing your job during the day on your way home after work. And so they're in New York where no one really has to worry about people being armed at large because very few people there have concealed carry permits. But everywhere else in the country, especially here in the Midwest, my advice to these unhinged, deranged individuals is to echo Greg Gutfeld and say, you don't know the person you're harassing. They might have been training on Krav Maga. They might, you know, have a, 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 a punching bag in their basement and they might be very, very able to deliver a beat down to you. And I'm not recommending that, but I am saying that self-defense is a right in this country. And it's one thing to incite a mob of people to say mean things to someone else. It's wrong. It should never happen. But you don't know if the people that you're inciting to this violent rhetoric will stop with just yelling mean things at him. How do you know someone you incite to yell at someone else won't then take it to the next step and throw a punch? And how many people are in jail serving time for manslaughter charges because they got in a brawl and punched somebody the wrong way and that person died? This is dangerous behavior and it has to stop. I just keep reading online on some of these websites where good people are saying it probably won't stop until someone fights back and someone else is killed. God forbid. God forbid that that has to be where this goes before people come to their senses and shake it off. And yes, that's a Taylor Swift reference to her thinking she has any political opinions that we're interested in. I didn't half like her music before now that she's outed herself as a liberal and really she's just saying, I don't want half of the country to buy my music. And, and you know what I say to that? Okay, I'll oblige you. I won't buy your music. And nobody at this house will. Nobody who has any accounts that buy music will buy any of your music as long as those accounts are connected to this household. You're welcome since that's what you want to do. So Mitch McConnell outlined the two most pivotal moments in the Kavanaugh accusation and how they really changed the direction of how things were going. And I thought this was insightful because he was in one of those like uh, press briefing rooms and it was a local TV avail. So it was the interviews by reporters that he knows well that have been interviewing him for decades and they're from his home state. And so here he is in number two. I'd rather not talk about security um, publicly, but I think the tactics were very helpful to me in unifying our side. I think there were two things that inspired our people to confirm this nominee. One, presumption of innocence. There was no corroborating evidence. Number two, the tactics were designed to intimidate. Look, I, I know the difference between peaceful protesters and people who are trying to get in your face and try to intimidate you and scare you. I, you know, we've got a few experiences here in Louisville that you all have covered. I'm, I'm more used to it than most of the rest of my members are not subjected to that kind of thing. So I think those were the two things that really helped us succeed. And I think it was an important moment for the country. I know everybody doesn't see it the same way, uh, but that's the way I see it. And he's right. This is This sentiment has been echoed again and again and again. And so when you're when you're looking at a war, if you will, or you're you know you're debriefing an event and you're going back and you're kind of going over the high points, the low points, where it went off the rails, how did we lose, how do we get to this point? 
for people on the left side of the political aisle, it's instructive to listen to what he just said. It, at some point during the process of trying to destroy Brett Kavanaugh, they've now admitted that was their tactic, that was their aim. When they were working on doing this, they went too far. And in going too far, instead of working towards their own aim, they began to help their opponent. We've all been there. How many times have you been to a basketball game where someone that after halftime where they've switched baskets, someone goes and puts the ball into the basket they were putting the ball into previously, and then their team members are like, what are you doing? They helped the other team. The points still count. And so then that person is appropriately chastened and embarrassed, and they don't do it again. But that's not what happened here. We saw a continuation of it. It was as if they said, we piled on a bunch of accusations on Herman Cain and he, he didn't make it. We got rid of him. So we'll just do the same thing with Kavanaugh and let's make each accusation more outrageous than the one before. We don't need any corroboration. We just need the accusations. What they weren't prepared for was that Americans have already hip to that game and they didn't have the wind at their backs. Now, I'm not the only one saying this. Mitch McConnell's not the only one saying this. You have a Democratic congressman saying this. He said Democrats went a little bit too far on Kavanaugh. It's number six. In general, uh, you know, we have to find a way to work together. And this back and forth between two parties on a continual basis, uh, that's part of the reform I want to see. The Democrats, I thought, went went a little bit too far. Uh, We're we're supposed to ask probing questions. Uh, I don't like it. I never did like it when people got out up there and pontificated time and time again about their position, this is supposed to be about a discussion back and forth between you and the nominee. And it is. And it wasn't. It, it's supposed to be, but it wasn't. And I think that's what was so infuriating for people. And so a part of this whole discussion is, you know, if, if Democrats were really opposing Brett Kavanaugh because of his stances, then that means there's got to be someone that could be nominated that they would say, okay, you know, in our role of advice and consent, we could say this person is qualified and therefore could be seated on the Supreme Court. You know, the Republicans aren't going to nominate a Democrat. And so obviously it has to be someone who is more conservative. And so someone has to be able to be approved by the Democrats, unless they're saying that the Republicans don't have the right to place conservative jurists on the court. I believe that's that's what they're saying. But Lindsey Graham went so far as to dare Chuck Schumer to show him one judge from Trump's list that he would be willing to vote for. It's number one. We were talking before we came on the air, and I see that you have a list of Mm -hmm. all the people that the president has said are on the list for potential nominees. Yeah. What's your point? Well, here's my point. This is a list that was compiled in November, but he actually put it out uh, during the campaign. There are 20-something people on this list. I'm asking Chuck Schumer, name five, name three, name one that would be okay with you. Brett Kavanaugh was a mainstream judge. I would have chosen him if I had been president. Uh, Bush supported him. Everybody running for president on our side believed that Brett Kavanaugh and Neil Gorsuch were outstanding conservative jurists. The other side wants to cancel the election. So, Chuck, you want somebody new. Look at this list and see if there's anybody you agree to. But what you want to do, Senator Schumer, is to overturn the election. And you pick the judges. We're not going to let you pick the judges. If you want to pick judges, then you need to win the White House. When uh, Obama won, I voted for two judges that he picked. So, Chuck Schumer, 
Name one person on this list she thinks acceptable. <laughs> I don't know where this Lindsey Graham has been all my life. But thank you, Lindsey Graham. Real Lindsey Graham? Uh, is this the real you? Will the real Lindsey Graham please stand up? Whoever this Lindsey Graham is, please don't ever go away. And also, thank you. Thank you, sir. I, you know, thank you. This is outstanding. I'm so glad that he's, that he's back. Thank, thank God. So um, he's made a great question. Chuck Schumer will never answer it. Notice Democrats never answer when you ask them a direct question about an issue. They're never going to answer you because they know they're wrong. They have to pivot to race. They have to pivot to something else you've said. They have to pivot to some uh, generalization. They can't answer the question. Uh, and, and it's just universal. It just never, you just never get a straight answer out of them. They just can't. What, why, should, why would they bother giving you a straight answer when they can continue to harp on untrue statements? So I've been watching, and we'll have tomorrow on the show, some audio of Hillary Clinton, she and her husband are back. Her, they're doing a tour of some sort, a uh, listening tour, some kind of chatting tour where she and her, an evening with Bill and Hillary Clinton, that's what it's called. They're going to be running around the country enthralling people with their bad ideas. And Hillary's already hacking her way across campuses across the country. She's been coughing and, you know, all that jazz. And I got to say, <laughs> it's like, you know, What? What, Hillary? You So instead of just staying home when you don't feel well, she's out and about. And also, there's all these pictures of her. She's got something on under her clothes. People are calling it a back brace. I don't think it's a back brace. I think she's wearing a bulletproof vest. And, you know, they make better bulletproof vests than that. They make the ones that, are, that work but are also not as bulky. And with all the money she's got, she should be able to get her hands on one of those. But regardless... Um, you know, she's back. And so we'll be talking about that. We'll have some audio. I, I know your face has got to be just like, if you're listening to this you're, you're, and, and, and you're in your car, you're at home, whatever you're doing, live streaming, whatever, you, you, your face has got to be just like, what did she say? I, I'm sorry. I'm apologizing, not because I have anything to do with the Clintons, but because this is the kind of news that I really don't like to report. I've been hoping for just years now that the Clintons would go into retirement and only appear occasionally like the Bushes. Um, the Bushes seem to be so happy. I've not been happy with George Bush's comments on immigration, but he is very, very, very much a rhino on immigration. But I've, I've at least respected the fact that he and Laura, they've done so many other kind of fun things. He's done the Wounded Warrior Project. He's done those, uh, it's like a triathlon that Wounded Warriors do where they travel across the country. They, they ride bikes, they swim, they it's just an amazing feat to watch these guys. Some of them, they have limbs missing from combat, and he goes right with them. And George Bush is no spring chicken, but he gets right out there with them and rides bikes for three days, and he camps out with them. I mean, real camping, no showers, no cabins, none of that stuff, just camping, staying outside in, in hugely you know, hot, hot temperatures and spending the night and cooking out over a fire and, and just getting that camaraderie going. He also took up painting. And I'm only highlighting these items because, you know, Hillary Clinton could do these things, too. She could take up these kinds of hobbies, too. She doesn't have to spend time around Bill Clinton if she doesn't want to. It's a free country. She could do whatever she wants. In fact, she could take the Hidden Heart, the Cry of the Hidden Heart Bible study, and she could revamp she and Bill's marriage, and they could spend their twilight years 
together, rediscovering the thing that they never had, which was a good marriage. I mean, there's so much that they could be doing besides continuing to plague the American people with their presence and their inane statements. And so I just, I just warn you, gird your loins for tomorrow because tomorrow I'll have audio of her. She's back out making comments about, of all things, someone who's been accused of sexual assault, Brett Kavanaugh. She's talking about that with a straight face as if her husband didn't pay damages to women that he sexually assaulted as if her husband wasn't impeached for lying about a sexual relationship with an intern in the white house as if she didn't man and control the bimbo eruption squads of private investigators used to tamp down on accusations by women who'd had relationships with her husband but she's going to come out and talk about kavanaugh i know i know again apologies my apologies She's never going away. And I just keep wishing for it. And, and you know, I mean, I'm a human being, too. I, I just wish she would. Her and Bill and Chelsea, all of them. There's, they have so much money. I think that's just maybe that's what I can't understand. Having that kind of money and not finding something to do besides going around and talking about politics. And I'm not saying that I only do you know, political talk because I don't have the money to do anything else. I, I'm, I'm doing this because I love doing it. But I also know, like Nikki Haley said, when it's time to quit, you have to know when it's time to quit. It's an honorable thing to say, it's quitting time, going on to do something else. That is totally an honorable thing to be able to do. And um, don't you just wish that Hillary Clinton would like bump into Nikki Haley and they would chat and Hillary would be like, wow. So you're stepping down just to take a break? Maybe I should do that. And then Nikki Haley would be like, you try it. You'll probably be happy. And then Hillary would go, yeah, I've never been happy. And then she'd say, I'm going to try it. And then she'd tell Bill and he'd say, oh, about time. Yeah, I'm with you. And then they would just stop coming in public. And I'd be so happy. <laughs> All right. Good night from the heartland. Be back with you tomorrow. God bless. Ha, <laughs>